All right, well, if you uh, have your Bible and you want to follow along, which I always encourage that you do, uh, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 18 today. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew is an easy one to find. It's the first book of the New Testament. Um, and we've been doing this, uh, this series called Parables, and we're going through just uh, not really in any order per se. We're just going through and grabbing some parables that Jesus taught. We've been doing this for the last few weeks. Uh, and we're just trying to like, get to the, the root of a very basic teaching that Jesus had. And so what we see is, and, and what you know, I, I think everybody knows, is that parables are they're made-up stories used to prove a point. Uh, usually, uh, they're, they're used to prove like very complex points. And so Jesus uses simple language like plants and sheep and I lost a coin. If you've ever lost money on the side of the road, you know what that feels like? Well, Jesus says, well, if you've ever lost money on the side of the road and you looked everywhere for it, that's kind of what it's like when someone finds the Lord for the first time. There's a big celebration. That's one of the parables of the, the lost coin. And what Jesus seems to be wanting to do when he teaches in parables is one, he's trying to teach in a way that people can understand big picture things in simple language. So it, it, it breaks down the complex into ways that we can understand. But two, it's also meant to be like a, makes it a, a vehicle. And so uh, if, if I explain to you, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something super smart. I, don't, I didn't plan this, but like, I, if I explain to you Einstein's theory of relativity and you're like, oh, wow, please do, Jesse. And your eyes are starting to glaze over right now. And I go over all the math equations. It might be true, but like when you leave this room, it's easily forgotten. But then I saw someone do uh, an explanation of Einstein's theory of gravity. And it was like a, it was like a piece of shirt, like fabric over a, like a hula hoop kind of thing. And so it kind of made like a thing. And he dropped a marble on it and it stayed pretty flat. It didn't really do it. And then he, he moved the marble off and he took like a big, uh, like, like pool ball, like a cue ball. And he sat in the middle of it and it sunk way down. He's like, this is Einstein's theory of relativity in action. My mind is blown. He's like, I've been thinking about this pool ball for like the last week after I saw that video. I've heard about Einstein's theory of relativity. I've seen the math equations, but it's not, it's not mobile in my head. I can't carry that thought around E equals MC squared and all that nonsense, but I can think of that cue ball all the time. And it seems to be that Jesus also wants to take complex things and make it so that as we go through our day, we think about it. We think about these stories. We, we, we hold on to them and we, we, we ponder them. And so uh, on the first week, uh, we, we did the four soils. And you may remember the story of, you know, of God. He, he imagines like God is like a gardener, like casting seed. The seed is his good news. It's the message that there's hope in the name of Jesus. And he just like casts it. And we, we ask the question, like, why does it stick with this guy over here? And his life is radically changed. But with this guy over here, he heard, he was sitting right next to him, but he, nothing happened. Why, why did it stick here and not here? And Jesus says, well, sometimes there's nothing wrong with the seed. Sometimes it's just different soils. And the, and the takeaway from that week, as, as, as we were looking at it, is that the kingdom of heaven isn't just a ticket to heaven. It's not just like, okay, one day in about 60 or 80 years, you're going to die uh, and you get to go up to heaven and talk to God. And that's all that it was. It was so much more than that. It was always meant to be more than that. That the kingdom of heaven was meant to, meant to get into our soil uh, and, and transform us a little by little, make the garden beautiful so that more growth can happen and we, we grow into more of who God is calling us to be. And he invites you and I to dig around in our soil and get those weeds out that have been growing and hurting us and other people, to get in there and dig the rocks out that we've been carrying around with us since you know our dad said that really mean thing when we were four or whatever, we dig that out. Uh, the kingdom of heaven was meant to transform our soil. 
And then the second week, uh, we see that Jesus is sitting at a party. He's in a room. Uh, I, I love this one because of how salty it was. I said this last week. But Jesus is invited to a party, and then every parable he told at the party was about how you shouldn't act the way that these people are acting at the party. When you're at a party, you shouldn't choose the best seat in the house. And all the people in the best seat in the house are like, oh, and they got up and ran. Uh, and when you're at a party, and, and then he, he leads all the way through to the very end. He says, imagine, imagine the, the master is planning the best celebration the city has ever seen. And you got an invite to be a part of the best thing you've ever been a part of. And the day has come. They come to you and say, today's the day. You were invited. Please be a part of it. And we all make sorry, sorry excuses about, wow, well, I bought a horse yesterday. I got to go check the wheels. And, and we, we ignore the invitation with a sorry excuse. And he, say, he says that he goes and invites everybody. He goes into the, like the, the get, get homeless people and people who are, who are sick, people who have no business being at that party. And he's like, I'm going to fill this up. And what we looked at that, that week is that the, the kingdom of heaven, this message that Jesus seems to be like promoting over and over and over again, it's an invitation to be a part of the best thing you'll ever be a part of in your life. It's an invitation to be a part of uh, a mission that will be just as satisfying to the 10-year-old you as it will the 110-year-old you. You will never get to the bottom of what Jesus is inviting you to be a part of. You'll never get to the end and be like, I'm bored now. No, you, you will constantly be amazed at the next thing that the Lord is inviting you to be a part of. But it's, it's hard. We make sorry excuses. I don't want to forgive him. Well, part of the invitation is to, to do that. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then, and then uh, last week, we, we had a lot of parables. I don't know if you, if you were here last week. We talked about how sometimes parables are just one sentence or two sentences. And we don't want to, we don't want to like make a big thing out of a little thing. And uh, so what, the way that you should read that is like little Venn diagrams, little circles. And we read all the parables together and we see how they overlap. And if you, if you were here last week, the, the overlapping principle seems to be that the kingdom of heaven seems really small, about the size of a mustard seed, Jesus says. It seems so insignificant, so invaluable. Like how many seeds can you get for a dollar? A billion? I don't know. Like they're so small. Uh, but if you let that seed do its work, it grows into the biggest plant in the garden, big enough that's useful for the birds. And he goes and he talks about the, the, the pearl merchant who goes and finds the one pearl that's more valuable than anything he's ever seen, and he sells everything he has. And the takeaway from that, what we should have learned from that is the kingdom of heaven seems small and insignificant. But if you let it grow to full growth in your life, it will be the most valuable aspect of you, and it's the most valuable thing we'll ever be a part of in this life. The kingdom of heaven is, it seems to be the topic of every parable that Jesus says, or at least most of them. And so we're going to look at one parable at the end of chapter 18. Today, I'm going to, I'm going to be just kind of honest with you, if, if I can. I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't feel like it's my job to like walk around and like, uh, um, uh, convict people or like step on people's toes. I read this and I say, like, oh, oh, ow, that kind of hurt. Uh, like it was hitting me, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, by the time we finish our parable today, uh, nobody in this room, including the guy on this stage right now, is going to be like, yeah, I, I, I've been perfect at that all this time. It is, it is, this is going to be a hard pill to swallow. It's, it's, it's one of those pieces of medicine that, uh, you know, when you give the kid, it's like they're sick and you need them to take the medicine. It's bitter. It's just like spit it. I have a, have a one-year-old in my house right now. And it's so funny. He looks like he swallowed the medicine. You walk away and it's like, and you just, he, he like, he just gets, gets it out of there. And it, like, how'd you do that? Why'd you do that? That medicine makes you better. This today, I'm going to be just upfront with you. It's a bitter pill to swallow. 
But if, if it gets into us, if, the, what we're going to, if what Jesus talks about today gets into us, this is going to heal so much in our lives, so much in our relationships. You, you're not going to be the same person next year if you let this piece of medicine get into your soul. And I'm not overselling it. I might be underselling it. So we'll be in chapter 18. Let, let's set it up before we get to the parable. Um, I'm going to rewind a little bit. I'm going to look at chapter 17. It won't be on the screens right here, but, but just we need to know like what's been going on in the lives of the disciples and, and with Jesus. At the very beginning of chapter 17, uh, the heading in my Bible says the transfiguration. Some of your Bibles might say the Mount of Transfiguration, but let's take big words out of it and just talk about what happened. Jesus goes to, to only three of his disciples. Uh, it's uh, John, uh, Peter, and James. He goes to three of them and like, hey guys, I'm, I'm going to go up on this hill and I'm going to pray as I often do. And I, I want you to come with me. You, know, you want to come with me up this hill and pray as I often do? They've never really been invited to go pray with Jesus up to this point. So it sounds like a pretty cool invitation. And then they get up there. And this thing happened that they've never seen before. Uh, the, the, the big Tencent word that the Bible uses is Jesus is transfigured. What that means is the way that Jesus looked in, you know, in normal clothing and just normal skin, he, his image changed. And basically they saw what Jesus looks like minus humanity. They saw the full glory of who Jesus is. Uh, his, it says that his face shone bright like the sun. And it said that there were two other people that showed up on this mountain, Moses and Elijah. So Peter, James, and John, they're just like going up a normal hill on a normal day. And then they see Moses, Old Testament, Elijah, and Jesus shining like a lighthouse, you know, solar flare sun thing, and they freak out. They don't know what is happening. Uh, Jesus gets into a conversation with Elijah and Moses and Peter. He interrupts the conversation. He's like, hey, Jesus, good thing we're here. We saw this. You know what we could do if you want? I'll build a house for you all. I'll build a house for Moses. I'll build a house for Elijah. I'll build a house for you, Jesus. I think that this is a great idea. One, who has the courage to interrupt Jesus having a conversation with Moses and Elijah? Blows my mind. He's just like, it seems like a good time to talk. No, it's a terrible time. But two, he really misjudges what is supposed to happen. What Peter and the rest of them should have done is just set back in awe and seeing, I see who Jesus is. Like for real, I see not, 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 what everybody says about him, not even what I thought about him. I, I'm getting a real true image of who Jesus is right now. And so then they, they come off the mountain and Jesus says, hey, don't, don't tell anybody about this just yet. Hang on to it. So their, their mind is blown. Uh, and, then, and then Jesus gets off the mountain. He heals a boy with a demon, which is, is wild. There's some kid who has a demon his whole life. Jesus heals that. And they're like, God, I mean, Jesus is a big deal. Uh, and then Jesus, after that, he starts telling him, he's like, I'm going to be crucified uh, here pretty soon. I'm going to die. And they're like, oh, you can't, you can't do that. And so they're completely overwhelmed by that. And then someone comes up to one of the disciples and says, hey, it's, it's time for you to pay your taxes at the temple. And, you know, they, they don't really know. They know Jesus is a big deal. And so they ask Jesus, like, hey, are we supposed to pay these taxes? Is that like a thing? And so Jesus gives them a speech, and he ends the speech with, hey, go get that fish out of the water, and there's a coin in there. Just give them what it is. It doesn't. Like, you're arguing about things that don't matter. And so they go get the fish. And every moment after that transfiguration is this moment where the disciples are like, he's huge. He's the best thing I've ever seen. He's, he's, how great is Jesus? It's great. And so we begin at the beginning of chapter 18. If you have that heading in your Bible, it's all the disciples are getting around like, okay, Jesus, I see that you're a big deal. Which one of us is going to be the greatest? 
Now, who here, uh, just be honest, who here wants to get into heaven one day, uh, and as you walk in, you're like, there's a scorecard, and out of all the people in heaven, you're in the bottom 10%, you're just like, I made it, (laughs) but boy, did I stink at that game called life. You know, nobody in here wants to be in the very bottom, right? Nobody wants to be the least in the kingdom. We all want to, we're all just trying to put one foot in front of another and try to make this life make sense, am I right? The disciples, what they wanted to do is not just make it make sense, not just get in or you know squeak by. They asked the question, how do I be the absolute greatest there's ever been? Whatever Jesus followers there are going to be in this world, I want to be the top of the list. What a, what a reasonable question to ask Jesus. You've already seen him glow like a solar flare, and you're like, he's a big deal. I want to be, there's Jesus, how do I get right here, Jesus? And his response is kind of cryptic. Uh, he ends his response with the parable we're going to read today. Uh, but his immediate response is like he grabs a child out of the crowd and be like, you got to be like this kid, which has to make Billy feel pretty good about himself, right? <laughs> How can I be the greatest in the kingdom? Come here, Billy. you got to be like Billy. Okay, I don't know if they understood it. It's a, it's a measure about how Billy didn't think he could be great. Billy's just some kid, you know. And then this, it keeps going, but, but then it seems to be that instead of Jesus answering the question about how you become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, he answers the opposite question. Let me tell you how you can be the absolute least in the kingdom of heaven. Let's start reading in uh, verse 15. How you can become the least in the kingdom of heaven. It says, uh, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Let's, let's pause and just fully absorb how uncomfortable that just became. Jesus has, is asked the question, how do I become the greatest? And there's this like illustration with Billy. There's some talk about some sheep that happened a little bit later. But then immediately he goes into this idea of, of forgiveness. And it says, if your brother sins against you, it might be a good idea for you to consider talking about him behind. No, no, it doesn't say that. It says, go and tell him his fault. So one of the ways to become greatest in the kingdom of heaven is that whenever someone has done something wrong to you that has offended you, you are to go quietly and privately to that person and tell them, this is the thing that offended me. But what do we do instead? Um, I, I know it seems to be like the Christian thing to do. It's like, oh, I just, I just need to be nice. I don't want an argument to happen. I don't want them to be upset. I'm just going to what? I'm just going to take it. You know, I'm just, ugh. yes, you hurt me. You said something mean about my puppy. You, 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 you said something about my child. I don't know, whatever. And, and instead of, instead of you addressing it, um, if you're like me, you're a little bit more passive and you're just like, I'll take the hit. I don't need to bring it up. I don't need to make a big deal about it. That would be against what Jesus commanded right here. Also against what Jesus commanded right here is to take that hit, ignore the person, and then go and talk about the person. Do you know what she said to me? That hussy. I can't. I don't know if that's a bad word, actually. Uh, I should be careful. <laughs> just making up stuff here. And, 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 and you just, we go over here and we talk about, if that's a bad word, we can bleep it out in the podcast. Uh, we go over here, and instead of talking to the person that hurt us, we talk about the person that hurt us. And Jesus' solution to all this, he had, this is, this is uh, the beginning of how all Christians should interact with the rest of the world, is that if your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That's not bad. 
You lose all of the juicy gossip talk that we put on Facebook. You lose, you lose that power. That, you know that power when you've been wrong and you know that you're the one who's right and you're just like, I feel good. That, I hate that guy, but I feel good. You, know? you, you give that up, but you gain your brother. You maintain a relationship. But you know everybody in here is like, okay, but what if that doesn't work, Jesus? Well, he continues. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Jesus' answer, okay, you went, you tried the private thing. Um, the guy looks at you and be like, yeah, well, I hate both of your puppies now, or whatever. Like They just double down on it. Uh, and, and so Jesus' response is, go get two or three people that you trust. Don't talk about them behind the, your, their back with the two or three. Get the two or three people, and the three or four of you go say, hey, man, listen. What you did was ABC. Um, it hurt. It offended me. I, I, I want this to work. I want, I want this to be fixed. I, I, need, I need this relationship fixed. And hopefully that works. It's like, man, I, I'm so sorry. They apologize and you gain your brother. But it says in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, go and tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, uh, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. He says, you know, if, if you take the two or three and that doesn't work, go get, go get maybe a small group leader or, you know, some elders from the church. Probably not what Jesus meant is to be like, uh, Jesse, can I have the microphone for a second? Um, yeah, I want to, uh, uh, Aaron stole my car last week. Like, just like announcing to the whole church. That's not quite what he means. It's go get some leaders from the church and try as a church to address that. If you have a fault with a brother or sister in this room, this is the biblical response. Go to them privately. If that works, awesome. If it doesn't, get two or three more people. Go to them privately again. If that works, awesome. If it doesn't, then go get some church leaders, some people that are very mature that you trust, that can handle the bad news, and you go to them. And if that works, awesome. But if it doesn't, Jesus says, treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so uh, Jesus isn't saying that, they're, that, that you should hate them from that moment forward because Jesus has a lot to say about how we treat Gentiles and tax collectors. Jesus went to go eat meals with tax collectors. Jesus went out of his way to, to heal Gentiles. So he's not saying, well, you've done your three steps, now kick them out. You know, he's saying, he's saying draw some boundaries in your life, man. Jesus, in terms of relationships, uh, it turns out Jesus is very pro-forgiving and Pro having strong boundaries to help like the relationship function. Uh, I don't know if you grew up in the same version of Christianity that I did, but a lot of us, uh, me, uh, I grew up like it's either I don't talk to you or I forgive you, and it turns out you can do like you, you know you can have boundaries, you can have healthy healthy boundaries. We're not even to the parable yet, and we're already like oh. Man, we're stepping on toes. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever uh, you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Those verses are so often taken out of context, the whole binding and unbinding, the two or three are gathered, there I am also. We want to make that like comments about like, oh, we've gathered together and worship Jesus is here too. I think that's true, but that's not what he's talking about here. What he's saying here is like, we should fight for relationships to be healed. And if two or three of you can agree that you're not going to hold this grudge against someone, like you've agreed, that I'm letting this go, I'm forgiving him this debt, You've cleared it off your ledger. Jesus says, I'm not going to hold it against them either. It's clear. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, whatever you unbind. And he goes on. Now, 
Uh, this isn't news. I don't, I don't, I, if this is your first time in Carpenter's Way or even your first time in church, you're not in here with your mind blown, Jesus wants me to forgive people, right? That's not a surprising message. But the, the question then comes, is like, okay, okay, great message. Love what you're doing with the whole forgiveness thing, Jesus. No other leader's done that. Supreme teaching. Here's a question, though. Like, how far am I supposed to take that? Like, at, at what point... Do I just get to kick them in the teeth, Jesus? I just need a chance. Is it, is it one time? Is it two times? Uh, Peter, the same guy who is on the mountain interrupting the conversation between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, decides now's a good time to ask that question. Because here's, here's what Peter says in verse 21. Then Peter came up. After Jesus says all that other stuff that he said, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Maybe seven times? As many as seven times? What a decent and fair question. Uh, I, think, I think most of us would ask this question if we weren't so, like, you know, scared of offending Jesus. Uh, I, I don't know. Who, who here has ever had someone just wrong them? You, you, you were innocent. You didn't, you didn't escalate it. But, like, someone just said something mean about you. Anybody? Just me? I'm pretty sure it's everybody in the room. It's okay. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for playing along. Uh, it, it just... It's the worst, isn't it? It's the worst when someone misunderstands you. It's the worst when you said one thing and they repeat it and kind of they twist your words a little bit, right? And they say the opposite thing. Uh, it's terrible when you have a, a really close friend um, that you thought was great, and then, then you heard a story about yourself over here, and you've only told one person about. There should be nobody else in this world that knows this, but you told only that person about, and now it's leaked out, and somehow her, his or her confidentiality just, and, and there's a sting there, right? It hurts. It, it hurts bad. And Peter, he asked the question, like, okay, Jesus, that's a great message, but like, when do I stop the forgiving? When, when, do, when, do I, when do I let it go? Maybe I do it seven whole times, which is like a huge amount of times to forgive someone, no doubt about that. And Jesus responds like, no. He's going to give him a parable about it, but he says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Like, let's just 10x what you're, 11x what, what you're saying. Uh, let's, let's just keep this forgiveness train going. And here, here's the question that before we get to the parable, like why, why should we care? Why, why, why is it that we should try to forgive someone else? Wouldn't it be easier just to be like, no, he, he, he did say that wrong. Let's take it out of personal relationships. Why should we care uh, that that politician has lied so many times? Why should we care that um, that promise, you know, the, 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 the taxes, you know, came, came back the, the way that they did? I don't know if everybody else's taxes were jacked up this year, but my, it's just weird. Uh, my, my property taxes have gone up uh, almost double in, in one year's time, and I don't understand that. Uh, why should I uh, uh, be of a forgiving mindset and just kind of keep forgiving and keep forgiving? There's this principle in, in Scripture that forgiveness is like a debt. Um, it's the same idea of, you, you know, you went and took out a loan against your house, and now you owe the bank X dollars, let's say $100,000, and you're just slowly paying it off. And to forgive someone is to, is to just eradicate that debt. Imagine, we actually use the word forgiveness of a loan when, when we use the term. Imagine if your bank just sent you a letter like, hey, listen, Mr. Smith, uh, you've been a great customer of ours, and I know you've got another 28 years on this loan, but uh, we just, we forgive you. 
it's okay. It's over. Like imagine, like oh, you know, one, uh, that's your your spotty sense should be going off. Someone's trying to scam you. There's like a Nigerian prince about to ask you for your loan money back. It's like that'll be a, a really really big red flag. But but imagine that 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 level of relief is huge. And Jesus, he's he's seeming to think that we shouldn't carry ledgers around constantly. This this book of all the times that person has wronged me, and it's so long, and I'm going to hold them accountable to pay me back for everything that they did wrong because it's my right. Jesus, don't I have a right to that? Shouldn't I get what's coming to me, an apology perhaps? Now remember, Jesus is pro-boundary. So to forgive is not to like enter into the dangerous relationship again. Forgive is to, I'm just not going to carry this debt around. I'm not going to carry this marker around. He goes into this parable. Here's, here's how it goes. Verse 23 says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants, which is that's a terrifying day. You, you've been taking out loans for different business ventures, and uh, you, you've got all these great ideas, great plans, and you've just taken out a ton of loans, and the king decides, it's time. I've got to call everybody, and we're going to settle up. And so he calls in one old boy, and he says, when he began to settle one, uh, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, uh, please, and I will pay you everything. Let's, let's pause and, and set this up for just a second. Um, if, you, uh, if you go bankrupt um, in, in America, you have rights. They can't, they can't take you uh, and hold you hostage. Um, if you go bankrupt, you go to court, you file bankruptcy, they're going to liquidate most but not all of your assets, and you begin to pay back payments on the debt until upon which time you are completely out of those assets. Uh, and then the, the debt is forgiven, uh, but you've got, got it on your record. Does that sum up pretty much bankruptcy laws, I understand it? Yeah. Completely different in Jesus' day. You take out a couple of loans uh, from the bank or the king or whomever, uh, you can't pay them back, and the person that you owe says, I want skin. And they would take you, they would take all of your things, they would sell your things, and they would take you, and they would put you into involuntary servitude, also known as slavery, until upon which time you have paid off all of your debt. And so what's happened here is this guy has a debt so big, and we'll look at how big that is here in a second, that that he can't pay it back. And the, the, the punishment is going to be the master. The king says, I want him sold. I want you to sell his wife. I want you to sell his children. I want you to sell everything he has because that's not even going to come close. How big was old boy's debt? Well, it says, it says how many talents was it? 10,000 talents. Any, any idea how much that is? Let's see how much a talent is. We have uh, a talent uh, is equal to about 20 years worth of wages. So uh, this is pretty much all of our, if you have a retirement plan, this is pretty much your entire retirement account. All is one talent, 20 years worth of, uh, of debt. This guy has rung up a 10,000 talent debt, which would be equal to 200,000 years worth of his own work. And so I was like, that, I can't even wrap my head around how much, because when Jesus said this parable, this would, would have been a cartoonish number. He might have just made up a number. He, he could have just said, he owned 10 quibillion 
What is a quibillion? Who knows? It's made up. Uh, Jefferson County has 252,000 people, men, women, and children. That's the county we live in, obviously. This debt that this one man owes is equal to if every man, woman, and child with zero days off worked for 9.6 months straight to pay it off. And the king comes and he says, it's time to pay up, buddy. You, you've been taking out business loans. You, you probably have a stash of money somewhere. And the guy says, everything I've done has gone bankrupt. Everything I've tried has gone bankrupt. And I've racked up a debt. I, I'll do whatever I can. Please don't take me. So he begs and he pleads. It's a cartoonish amount of money. It says on, in verse 27, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him that debt. Are you, are you kidding me? This is, this is not, just, just to be clear, this is not someone forgiving your house loan. This is someone forgiving the loan of like your entire neighborhood. Like this is, this is a number that exceeds anything that we, even today that we would really found. This is like Elon Musk level, like forgiveness of loans, right? He just bought Twitter with 10,000 talents worth of debt. And, and the king hearing old boy's plea, his cry for his, his kids and his wife, and he's about to lose everything. The king has pity on him. He says, I forgive you. I forgive you of all that. You, you, can, you can go, man. You don't, don't worry about it. Jailer, go. Like jailer, he's all like wrapped up. He's ready to go. You know, he's about to tackling the bailiff. He's like, yeah, just, just get back. We'll, we'll, let him, we'll let him go. And he walks out. How, how free would that feel to you? How amazing would that be? Not so much for this guy. Uh, I don't know his name. Uh, we won't name him because he turns into a kind of a jerk. It says um, in verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. He walks out of this courtroom and he finds one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred uh, denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. I, th- I think he said it like gravelly. I'll break your knees. <laughs> so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience on me and I will pay you. He had a hundred denarii. That's, that must be a lot, right? That, that must that must be like something. Like I don't know how much a talent in a denarii is, but like they they have to be close for him to be this this worked up. How much is a, a denarii? We we have this here. Uh, denarii is plural. One is a denarius is one day's wage. This guy owed him three point two five three and a quarter months worth of work. And to be fair. Uh, that's not an inconsequential amount of money. Uh, after hurricane, whichever one you choose, did anybody in here have a contractor come, bid a job, take some money from you, and leave? Anybody? I did. I think some of us did. It's not a good feeling, is it? It's a terrible feeling. I mean, so, some guy he takes he takes you know your bathroom. You you were remodeling your bathroom, and he takes it and he leaves, and now you don't have money for your bathroom. You've gutted your house. You're mad. You've been wronged. He's mad. He's been wrong. He owes him the money, right? He owes him the money. But he, he just left a proceeding where he, he owed 200,000 years worth of money. And he goes and finds the boy that owns a few months worth of money. He's like, I'm going to get you. And he chokes him. And so he says, please have, have mercy on me. And you guys know what he does, right? He has mercy on me. He's like, you're right. I've been forgiven. I get to pay it forward, right? Like the Starbucks line. No, this guy right here, he's the guy who ends the Starbucks pay it forward program. He gets up there. He's like, hey, the, the car in front of you paid for this. You want to pay for the one back? <laughs> no, I'm taking it. And I'm going to take that guy's coffee too. In fact, I want the guy behind me to pay for my next coffee. This is him, okay? This is, this is his job. The guy begs him, please forgive me. 
and I'll, I'll pay you back. Verse 30, it says he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. He put him in the same prison that he was supposed to be in, but instead uh, it was just an empty cell, and now he placed this guy. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. This is not looking good for this guy. Their, their servants, like, you were forgiven how much? That's amazing. He choked that guy. I mean, just slammed him down. Somebody go tell the boss. And they go, and they tell on him, because, you know, this is worthy of snitching, I suppose. Then his master summoned him. You get called back into court and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, this parable began with the disciples asking Jesus, how do I become the greatest? And he, he just like points to a kid, like become like this kid. But I'll tell you, here's how you become the very least. You hold on to people's debts. You hold on to grudges. You keep that ledger running as long and as deep as you can. And you get what's coming to you. And you're going to become the least in the kingdom. There is a scandalous amount of forgiveness that Jesus is wanting to offer here. Uh, I said this uh, before, but but uh, last year uh, I, I I entered into a contest. It was like some random online contest, and I won a thousand dollars. It was amazing. Uh, I, I didn't think anybody ever won those things. I won a thousand dollars. But this year at tax time, do you know that they reported that thousand dollars to the IRS? Those jerks! I can't believe they would do that. That's my thousand dollars. Uh, and you owe like gift or you know, winnings tax on stuff like that. And so I had to pay taxes a year later for something that I won the year before. And like, I could have been mad about it. It's like 30% tax on, on the thousand. I could have been mad about it, but truly, I mean, I just got a weird random thousand dollars in the mail one day. That's great. I shouldn't be mad. What, what is it? 30, it could have been a 50% tax. I'm like, what do I care? Because, because I didn't do anything to earn that winnings. I just entered into a contest. And the truth is, is that for those of us who have called on the name of Jesus and said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me of every wrong thing I've done. The debt that we owed was more than we would ever have been able to pay for. The wages of sin is death. It, is, it, is, it, is, it might as well be a millennia worth of work you would have to do. You would never, honestly, ever work hard enough to earn God's love. And yet, yet Jesus forgives us. And then, and then we turn, and we're just such jerks to other people around us who, who have wronged us this one little time, this, this, this scribble of a, of a moment. And we hold grudges. We hold our anger. And we say, I have a right to this anger. And everybody around you agrees, you do have a right to that anger. You just do. With the one exception of this, the one whom we call Lord, which is boss king, the one who calls the shots, has required us to forgive. I don't know if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom or the least in the kingdom, but if, if, if we want to be as fast as we can to the bottom of the list in the kingdom, Jesus says we hold grudges. We hold them tight. We don't forgive others. We have terrible, broken relationships everywhere we go. It's just like broken glass all the way behind us. 
But if we would adopt this principle, this kingdom principle, what the kingdom of heaven wants to do is not only get us into heaven, as it were, or have a, have a you know, get out of hell free card uh, upon our death, Jesus actually seems to imply that trusting God with this is actually going to improve our relationships one by one. Should you have boundaries with toxic people? Yes. Treat them as Gentiles and tax collectors. That's what Jesus said. Have good, strong boundaries. But don't carry that ledger around with you. It is exhausting trying to keep up with all the different people who have wronged us, isn't it? We lose sleep over it. We can't, we can't think of anything else except this person who's wronged us. And you're right, they have. But wouldn't it be so much freeing if we're just like, I'm done. Take it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to care about it. I forgive you of all the debt. I just want to be free of having to keep be the accountant. I hate being the accountant. Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, there's one line, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us, right? What a terrifying thought if the Lord limited his forgiveness of me just to the way I've forgiven other people. Jesus says this is the opposite. Increase your forgiveness to the absolute measure upon which you have been forgiven. Now that is a challenge that we can try to accept and work on. Uh, just a closing thought. To, to understand the kingdom of heaven well is to be scandalously forgiving of others. Not just a little trinket, not just when someone's nice to you, not even when you wait for someone to ask for forgiveness. You are going out of your way to forgive those who have wronged you, scandalously forgiving them. When we focus on the ledger sheet between us and God, the amount of debt that he has forgiven in Jesse's name, when we focus on that ledger sheet, we lose interest in the ledger sheet between us and them. But if we focus on the ledger sheet between us and them, we're so uh, consumed with trying to make sure that this ledger sheet is going to balance out one day that we lose sight of the beauty and the glory of the forgiveness that we have been given. You and I, we have to make a choice. Do we focus on God's forgiveness of us or do we focus on their need to be forgiven and their debt? But we can't choose both. I, I, I don't know about you. Uh, I am tired of losing sleep. Uh, I'm tired of trying to manage all the relationships, trying to understand like, okay, who owes me what and how many times have they apologized, blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to choose to focus on God's goodness and his glory and his forgiveness of me. And by doing so, I just, I'm going to ask God to just take this. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love keeps no records of wrongs. It's record sheet. Let's stop keeping it. Whatever's on the record sheet, whatever's on the ledger right now, by God's grace. And, and it may be one of those prayers where you're like, yes, I have faith, help my unbelief. Like, yes, I want to forgive, help my unforgiveness. Like, I don't have the power to do this yet, but just hold it. Say, God, please take this away from me. Do, I'll do whatever. Just please, I don't want this one. I want, I want to be free of that. I just want to look at this immense amount of debt that you've forgiven for me and be overwhelmed by it. Let's pray, and then uh, we will watch the queue together. Father, uh, this morning we, we read this as a challenge. We certainly read it as a challenging parable, challenging application. Um, Father, I pray for us that we would have the courage to, uh, to accept this challenge, that we'd have the courage to start releasing some of these ledgers that have been weighing us down. Father, so much of our energy is just lost in trying to keep up with who owes us what. Lord, would you help us 
to cancel all debts? Would you help us to forgive others of the, the real wrongs that they've done against us? Will you help us to live in that freedom? And Father, where we fall short, would you remind us again and again and again of what you've forgiven in us and how you've accepted us and help us, help us to just reflect that in this world. We would be so much better followers of you if we didn't carry the weight of these ledgers around. Lord, help us in our weakness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.